Hi there, welcome. This is In Step. This is my podcast. My name is JL Rathbone and it's my privilege to come to you again today and talk to you about the subject of faith. It's a favorite of mine. I remember I did a little while ago a topic called the faithfulness of God and in a similar vein I'm going to explore that idea. I hope that you enjoy this. You can get a cup of tea or whatever. I'm not going to keep you too long and of course it's up to you when you turn the thing off anyway so that's a good thing. But um, let's have a have a look at this idea faith. I saw my Jesus coming soaring on the eagle's wings. I suppose like many words Faith is one of those ones that's been thrown around and possibly even abused and misinterpreted, misunderstood, and it means a whole lot of things to lots of different people. Faith can be used to describe someone's religion, for example, or faith um, is a word that quite often people throw around and say, well, it's all right, I have faith. And it can just mean a whole lot of things. It can also, and really in a lot of ways, faith to some people, is just a comment of ignorance. It's it's like, oh, okay, I have faith, and it just it just says, well, I'm just ignoring the inevitable. I'm I'm ignoring. I want to suggest to you today that faith is not about ignoring. It's not about dismissing. It's not about disregarding. Faith is actually something real. It's a substance, as we will look at shortly in Hebrews one eleven, and faith needs to be faith in something and um, that's really where I want to sit today and have a look at that idea firstly I want to direct our attention to Luke chapter 18 and this is one of these stunning little verses in here I'll come to it in a second but as you read through Luke 18 first up you have this discussion if you like between a widow and a judge. Now it's a parable, it's not a literal story, but there's so much we can glean from it and it is red letters. It's Jesus the King talking to us about this idea. Let's have a read. This is starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. And there was a widow in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then this is the stunning verse in the passage to me. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, it's a remarkable comment from Jesus. Let's have a look quickly and sketching through this passage. You have a widow 
who, let's say, is pestering a judge, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care for God. He doesn't, let's call him an atheist. Let's say that he's a, a, a kind of evil man, if you like, this, this character in the parable that Jesus is telling, and he doesn't care. Yet, because of the persistence of the widow, he will eventually turn and he will say, all right, because you keep coming, and we've seen this in other passages in the Bible, Jesus makes this comparison a number of times. And it's like he says, how much more will your perfect God, the perfect judge, see that you get justice? And he says, it's not even going to take long. It will be quickly because of the nature of God. And so you see these two things operating here. There's like a persistent part of this widow. And he, he's saying, in that, in that way, we are to come to God persistently. We're to, and I don't believe that it means to pester him, but it means to keep coming to him in relationship. Why? Because you know who he is. And because you know that your plea and your request is worth something to him. And then, as if that's not enough, Jesus reminds us here of the nature of God. He says, look, even in a bad situation with that filthy judge over there, he's going to eventually listen. So even applying that to someone who is totally corrupt, even applying persistence to that, you'll eventually get your breakthrough. But he says, that's not the way with our God. He says, with our God, with your God, with my Father in heaven, he says, that God, he is just, he's perfect, he always listens. And he will see that you get justice and quickly. And this is a promise of Jesus. This is where I want to point us just briefly. He doesn't say these comments and not back them. And drawing on what I spoke about a little while ago about his nature, the nature of God being faithful, full of faith, he, he won't back down from his word. He gives us this and he says, you will see that you get justice and quickly. Let's have a look quickly at this comment, the second half of verse 8. However, says Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I believe he's making a reference to here to his second coming. And this is stunning to me. And it almost, this word faith, not even, not a word as in belittling it, but the concept and the, the entity that is faith. He elevates it here in this passage, possibly above other things that we might think about. And I'm not saying that things like love and hope and peace and joy aren't important things, although we know that they are products, they're fruits of the Spirit. But this faith word, it's as though Jesus makes a point here to say, when he returns, will he find faith? This says to us, it speaks to us, about the importance of faith. Out of all the things that Jesus mentions, he says, will I find faith? And it's like an exclamation mark to this parable. It's like he says, yes, 
persistence, yes, trust, all of those things. Yes, understanding the nature of God. But there's something that we need to apply, which is given to us. That's the wonderful thing about God. He gives us what we need, and we'll read that in a second. But he says, will you apply faith to who I am? Will you allow faith to access what I have given to you already? Let's look at my next point here. And I've written this question, faith in what? I want to make some suggestions. Faith is not to be in our own ability. Faith is not in our offering or work. And faith, this is a hair splitter, but it's important. Faith is not even faith in our own prayer. Perhaps you could glean from this passage about the widow and her persistence, and you could make the assumption that Jesus means persistence alone will grant you your desire, perhaps. And there is an element of persistence that represents faith. But I've seen the difference, and I see the difference in the Scripture, and this concept of faith and how important it is to Jesus and how important it is to accessing the kingdom of heaven. And that's really what God desires for us. Faith is our access into the kingdom of heaven because of what God has done. And I believe that God has allowed us, he has paid our access. But faith, if you like, not to belittle it once again, and metaphors always have limitations, Faith is our key card, if you like, into the kingdom of heaven. The bank account's full. We didn't purchase it by any means. We can't bring an offering that's near enough. But faith is what we apply to access who God is and his abundant kingdom. And this points to the next portion of the passage here, Luke in Luke 18 which in, in my Bible, it's got a little heading that separates it. But I reckon if you just read it straight through, it's really amazing what lands next. And it talks about this pharisaical spirit. It says, reading from verse 9, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men, two men, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like all the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all 
those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Man, Jesus is awesome, and I think we know that. But he just levels the playing field here. And you see this in relation to my last point. It's as if the pharisaical spirit presents as having confidence in oneself. Confidence in one's own prayer. Confidence in one's own works. That's not the faith that God requires. God doesn't need us to have faith. He doesn't need anything. But he's not suggesting that we have faith in even our ability to pray. And this is interesting. If you remember, the big boys come to Jesus and they say, we couldn't cast out that spirit. And Jesus says, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. In this passage here, it seems like Jesus almost says the opposite, which he doesn't. But he's saying something different here. He's saying, look, guys, it's not the amount of prayer and fasting. And probably more to the point, it's not the fact that you want to tell us all about how wonderful you are. But it's the recognition that you need the forgiveness and the mercy of God. It's the recognition that God is massive and powerful and able. And I must run to him in order to even live and breathe and survive. And the tax collector, the broken and contrite heart, has access to the heart of God. That's faith. Faith is found on your knees. Faith is found when you recognize that you are indeed poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And God, I believe, he wants us to have the posture of this tax collector before him. I love the picture. It says he won't even look up to heaven. He won't even dare to see the disparity between his offering and who God is. But in that recognition, God lifts him up. He says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And it's like when we can go low, when we can recognize, God, I need you now. When we come down to that point, God is able to pick us up and seat us up with him in the heavenly realms. And then we have access to who he is and his abundant kingdom. Go low, be brought high. On the contrary, Jesus warns, if you elevate, there's only one place to go. And that's down as the pharisaical spirit will always find out. Let's have a look here at the famous faith passage, Hebrews 11. I just want to pick out the first three verses. You'll know this if you've hung around for a while. If not, all good. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Have a look at this one. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made 
out of what was visible. As I walk along here, I find this seeing, this sight and faith, uh, brother and sister. And even looking at this passage, the first couple of verses there in Hebrews 11, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith accesses this gift that God gave to us, just like him, the imagination. And I might feel like I'm on a limb here with some. And that's okay. I'm happy to receive your comments. But this thing that is imagination, the ability to envisage, the ability to dream, it's the ability to see things that aren't yet tangible. Lest we never diminish that gift. On a slight tangent, one of the things that, let's say, upsets me. As I, some of you might know, I used to be a school teacher and um, I, I love it. I like the idea of creating opportunities for people to succeed. That's what I tried to see my job as when I was a school teacher. One of the things that I found sometimes disheartening was the big machine that was education. And um, an unfortunate part of that, there were many great parts, but an unfortunate part was this, what would you say, quashing of the imagination. And I believe that um, there are some steps that are, that are, you know, it's, it's not a blanket comment by any means, not saying that everywhere does that. But the imagination is a gift, the ability to see the things that don't exist, whether you see them visually, whether you dream them, even at night or in the day, even the daydreaming. Let's think about this. The access even to the creative arts. Yes, we feed ourselves with information. We study other works. We study other music. But the process that happens before anything is made is vital for something to be made. And in the same way that we're made in the image of God, God is an imaginer. He's a creator. And I love that the first example of faith here in verse 3 talks about the universe and its formation and how that happened, let's say, in the mind of God. So God's mind had a concept, had a blueprint to bring something into being and of course we know that his word spoke it into being which is incredibly powerful for us as well so god wants us to envisage god wants us to visualize he wants us to dream and i suppose the important comment must be made here this is where the lordship of jesus comes into play as a believer in God, as one who has faith in God, our trust, 
our faith must reside in his character. If we operate apart, if you like, out from under the covering of the Lordship of Jesus, our faith resides in our own ability and the resources we can see. God wants us to resume our place as heavenly beings, as people that existed and want he, and people that will exist and do exist as heavenly beings accessing and existing and being and belonging and creating from a heavenly perspective. God invites us into that through relationship with Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus, he grafts us into his vine and he says, come on, son, come on, daughter, come and visualize with me. Come and have faith in who I am and access the realm that I live in. And as we know, this is not a cherry pick verse because we know the theme is all the way through the whole scripture. But I'll come to Psalm 23, and it talks about this idea of the absence of lack for those who have faith in God. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack no good thing. Because the Lord is my shepherd, because I have faith in the nature of God, lack doesn't exist in my life. And let's extend that into the positive. I believe God is the glory to glory God. He wants to bring us not just back to par, but he wants to take us beyond. And that's his nature. That's who he is. As I always say, that's who he is. And we are getting to know this God, the God of no lack, the God who is accessed by faith. It's as if he invites us. He says, son, he says, daughter, come and dream with me. Come and see what I see. This is the God we must remember. This is the God who started, if you like, with nothing. This is the only being with the ability to, well, he wrote the laws. He wrote the rules. But who can create and destroy matter? That's our God. He's the only rational, if you want to talk about rational, he's the only rational and reasonable explanation for the existence of anything. He's the one who exists beyond what is seen. He's the one who exists beyond matter and rules because he created it. And that is, by uh, on a tangent, that is where the atheist argument falls flat on its face. The very people that believe in the law that matter cannot be created or destroyed, they're the ones who are saying that matter was merely created by some other matter. Let me tell you, it was created by the one who really matters. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. By him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made. That's our God, and he's the one in whom our faith should reside.